Okay, uh, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to all of our friends here and overseas. I, I just love, I love talking to people that are hungry for the Word, and, and that's, that's really what this is, is, is about. You know, we've started a series called To Number Our Days, uh, found in Psalm 90, uh, 12 and 13, and, and basically, how, how can we make the most of what is in front of us today? That's, that's the reality. And, and I am convinced that when you see the bigger picture, you'll want to make the most of today. That makes sense? It's kind of like, if I know he's coming back, if I know Jesus is coming back at any given time, why wouldn't I say, okay, I got to do something today for him because of my desire and my love for him. You know, we've gone through multiple scriptures. Uh, I mean, this is our lesson six. I think this is lesson six. Uh, yeah, lesson six is right there. You know, we started off the number of our days. We talked about the battle and how it begins. And, and then you talked through the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant. We went into uh, the Davidic covenant last week. Uh, but I want to talk about what was David's perspective um, of the Davidic covenant. Now you can say, well, what does that look like? Well, the book of Psalms was not completely written by David, but a lot of it was. And so I want to take this Psalms perspective of what does it look like from beginning to end only through the book of Psalms. And so that's where we're going to go today. And, uh, you know, I have to tell you, I haven't been this excited about a lesson in a long time. If you were to say, Kyle, could you give me a summary message of to number our days? This would probably be it. We're going to cover everything you can think of of the end times today in the Psalms. Everybody good? Let's pray. Lord, we give you this text. We give you, we just give all of this to you. I, I love how the word speaks. And I pray, Lord, for wisdom and discernment. And I pray, Lord, for clarity as we communicate this. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, first of, first of all, what you got to see is, is that God is going to announce Christ to be his, uh, let's see, what color do I need to do here, Rich? Black, probably? Is that right? Okay, thanks, Kevin. Okay, God's going, ooh. Sorry, I'm a, oh, did you guys see that? Yeah, let's try that one. Oh, no, all right, sorry. All right, so God is going to announce, okay, in the very beginning. Okay, the first one is son, all right? God's going to announce his son. Everybody go to Psalm 2, verse 7, okay? Psalm 2, verse 7. That's awesome. All right. The Psalm, Psalm 2, verse 7, it says this, I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. So Psalm 8, verse 2 also would back this up, this language that the birth of Christ is going to establish the framework. Does that make sense? Now, this is important to understand. All of this that I'm going to talk about on the front end has to do with what we would call uh, the, I would just say the first coming. Okay. So we're going to break this up into two sections, the first coming and the second coming, okay? This has to do very clearly, okay, with the first coming. Now, what's the fulfillment? Well, Matthew 3, verse 17, and there came a voice. Remember the baptism of Christ? There came a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. I take delight in him. Matthew 3, 17, you guys, is a fulfillment of Psalm 2, 7. All right, so now I want to keep going to the second one, okay? So we're going to go here. Same, you got a new blank, right? Now, you got to understand something. As Christ came, okay, all things will be put under Christ's feet. So the word that we're going to use 
is authority. Okay? Authority. So the Son has been given authority. Psalm 8, verse 6. You made him Lord over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. Okay? And you remember Psalm 8, too. We already talked about it, right? The birth, Psalm 8, 6, just keeps building on what we are seeing. Okay? Psalm 8, 6. Now, where's the fulfillment that we see this? In 1 Corinthians 15, 27 through 28. For God has put everything, what? Under his feet. But when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. And when everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to, to the one who subjected everything to him so that, God may be in, uh, so that God may be all in all. So 1 Corinthians okay, 15, 27 through 28. Now let me just say this. There's a lot of different verses that you could probably bring in to see some fulfillment, okay? For the sake of time, I want to just try to condense it. Now, here's your third word that you have. When Christ came, you have to understand that he would face temptation as soon as he came to earth. So one of the things that Christ shows us is that Christ was in a battle from the time he came. The son came, he had authority, but the reality is, is that he had a battle. Psalm 91 talks about this. Psalm 91, 9 through 13 because you have made the Lord my refuge, the most high, your dwelling place. No harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent. For he will give you his angels' uh, orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with their hands so that, watch this, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample on the young lion and the serpent. So what we see is, guess what? In Psalm 91, prophetically, it says there will be a battle. But the battle, Jesus is going to win. How do we know? Because it goes back to, you guys know this text. Remember when Jesus was tempted 40 days after the wilderness? So here you have in Matthew 4, 5 through 7. I got to, sorry, I should write up my Psalm 91 I had here, and then I had 9 through 13. And then you see a fulfillment of Matthew 4, 5 through 6. 5 through 7, actually. Matthew. It's so fun to see how all this works. How It just it fits together. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city, had him, uh, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So the devil took the word and just twisted it enough. But Psalm 91 says, even though that twisting is taking place, you're not going to fall. Okay? And so Jesus says, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Jesus never fell, by the way. Jesus never gave in to any of these things, right? It's pretty straightforward. Yep. So here you have the son given authority, but just because he's authority doesn't mean that there's not going to be a battle. So we already see in Matthew 4, Genesis 3, 15, coming right here, right? He faced the temptation as a man. He never played the God card. Right in order to do any of the miracles or to resist temptation, he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's how he overcame. Amen. So now in this process, let's jump to this, okay? In, in Psalm 69, 8 and 9, okay? 
Psalm 69, 8 and 9. Here's, this is one of my favorite words, okay? What you see amidst the battle is zeal. Psalm 69, 8 and 9, it just says this. I have become a stranger to my brothers and a foreigner to my mother's sons because zeal for your house has consumed me and the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So there's something about this zeal that this psalmist writes about this person. He doesn't say Jesus, by the way. That's the beauty of the whole psalms. You can articulate this message to any Jewish person. Any person that studies the Old Testament, you can communicate this message and say, hey, by the way, did you see that the coming Messiah is going to have zeal and passion because they've turned against the Lord and used his house for the wrong things? Now, there's two different examples, okay, about how Christ really reveals this zeal. In John, that's where I want to go first of all. Uh, actually, Kevin, yeah, go to John 2, 16 through 17. John 2, 16 through 17. He told those, who are selling doves. Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And then it was like for a second, the disciples remembered Psalm 69. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So this is early on in John. This is early on in Jesus's ministry. So then the confusion is, is in Matthew 12, later, Matthew 21, later on. So in Matthew 21, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go there. You basically see uh, the exact same scenario. But this time, it's at the end of his ministry. So some people argue, is it the same? Is it different? I would probably propose it seems to be different, but it's okay if it that doesn't matter. Does that make sense? The point is, he's all fired up and he's fulfilling Psalm 69. Can I just say this? To number our days, why is it important to study to number our days? Because I believe we can walk out the prophetic that's in the word. You got to catch that in order to see the bigger picture. If you want to see the bigger picture to make the most of your time, you got to see what it looks like. Jesus is the word and he knew the whole picture. So what could he do? He could walk into fulfillment of Psalm 69 and his disciples said, oh yeah, that's fulfillment. So you have a son that has authority. He's in a battle and as he's in a battle, he is zealous. He's passionate for really his father's house. Remember, we're building the case. We are literally building the case for what it looks like. Now, this is really what I love. Okay, let's go to the next word. Hopefully you guys are, you guys are doing good. Now, in this process, okay, you're going to see Christ is going to come in the name of the Lord. So I, I'm actually just going to write a word. And it, it's going to seem pretty obvious. He's coming. Why that seems a little weird? Because he's already here. He's born, right? He's already born. He's the son. He's got the authority. He's in a battle. But you have to understand something. Psalm 118, you guys, 25 and 26. Okay, Psalm 118, 25 and 26. It says this, Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. And by the way, this imagery is Palm Sunday. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For from the house of the Lord, we bless you. I even have background music. This is awesome. And so Psalm 118, 25 and 26 talks about what? They are expecting the Messiah to come. Everybody with me? Now watch, go to Matthew 21, okay? Matthew 21, uh, verse 9. Okay, Matthew 21, verse 9. Now remember, we're still in the first coming.
20, uh, Matthew 21, 9 says, Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You guys, they are literally reciting Psalm 118, 25 and 26. Palm Sunday, they are reiterating what the prophets talked about. What does Jesus say? Jesus says in Luke 24, 44, by the way, I want to talk to you about everything that I have fulfilled from the Psalms. The Son, the authority. There's a battle. As a battle takes place, right? What's the next word after battle? There's a zeal. So something is stirring in this. And as the zeal is coming, they realize this could be the guy. So they're articulating this could be the guy. So they're expecting Jesus to come in and be king. But right, what's the problem with what they wanted, with what Jesus was going to do? Yeah, they, there's uh, two sets of prophecy. One is the first coming where uh, he is dying for the sins of the people. The second coming, he's the roaring lion of Judah, destroying the enemies of Israel, setting them free from their captors. They were focused on the last set of prophecies and skipped over the first set. Yep. Here's the, the fun part, is that when you go to the next box, why is he coming? He's coming not to do his will, but he's coming to do God's will. Now think about this. He's coming to do God's will. Why is that important? Because Ray, I think a lot of the Israelites would think naturally that, oh, he's going to come in and just take over and be king right now. That would have been easier, by the way. Jesus' will probably would have been, I don't want to go through this. He actually says that. So he's coming to do God's will. Now, Psalm 40. Okay, Psalm 46 through 8. This is what I would consider almost uh, the key verses for the whole message today. Okay, Psalm 40, verse 6, 7, and 8. Why? Because it says, You do not delight in sacrifice and offering. You open my ears to listen. You do not ask for a whole burnt offering or a sin offering. Psalm 40, verse 7 says, Then I said, See, I have come. It is written about me in the volume of the scroll. I delight to do your will. My God, watch this, your instruction lives within me. So Jesus is coming to live out the instruction. He's coming to, to actually live out the fulfillment of God's will for his life. Ray, you with me? I'm with you. I, uh, you know, it was interesting when you were saying that, I realized that you know, the Jews wanted to Jesus to come in and usher in the kingdom and relieve them from the oppression of Rome. That's actually one of the temptations yeah. Satan offered him. That's right. You can have it right now. You can have it right now. That's why Psalm 91 is so important. He doesn't go back to that. So he's coming to fulfill God's will. Hebrews 10, 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, we see, you guys, Psalm 40 being recited. You did not want sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. In verse 6, you did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the volume of the scroll to do your will, God. Remember, think about this, the timing. They're coming in on Palm Sunday. They're expecting him as he's coming. They're expecting him, but there's a shift and he's got to come and do God's will. The son has authority. There is a battle, but he's got zeal and he's passion. People are seeing that. So they recognize him possibly as somebody coming. But when it says and he shifts to God's will, they don't know what to do with that. Okay, everybody, that makes sense? 
It's a little timeline that begins to unfold all based on the Psalms. There's 150 Psalms. We could do a lot more verses, but praise God, we don't have time. <laughs> now, all right, let's keep going to the next, next little calendar, right? Okay, so in this process, in this process of him coming to do God's will, you are going to see Jesus very simply be betrayed. He comes in to do God's will, and he's going to be betrayed. Scripture says in Psalm 41, verse 9, Even my friend in whom I trusted, one who ate my bread, his has raised his heel against me. That even, that language of heel, Ray, takes you back to Genesis. The enemy is rearing its head, and oh, by the way, he uses a man named Judas. The psalmist talks about this. As he's coming to do God's will, no, 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 he's now going to be betrayed. In fulfillment, you'll see John 13, verse 9. Uh, I'm sorry, John 13, verse 18. John 13, verse 18. Remember, we want to talk through what does this look like to have a David perspective. Psalm 41, 9. John 13, 18 says, I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen, but the scripture, here it is again, must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. You guys, it is over and over and over. Jesus says, I'm going to fulfill the psalm. It's crazy. So I know I'm going to keep doing this, but I want us to get this. I want you to be able to tell the story without ever looking at the verses. The son has come and he's been given authority. In his authority, there's a battle. As he's fighting this battle, it's because he's so he's zealous. He's passionate about who he is and he's coming to do what? His father's will. As he's doing his father's will, somebody's going to reject him. In fact, there's going to be somebody. He's going to be betrayed. As he's betrayed, this is where I wanted to come back to now. As he's betrayed, you will find unjust hatred. Unjust hatred. So now all of a sudden he's been betrayed and now you're going to see hatred in Psalm 35 verse 19. Again, I want us to make sure we're understanding. This is the Old Testament talking about a coming Messiah that they've never seen. Like, we have a picture to look back. These guys didn't. That's what's so crazy to me. Psalm 35, 19 says, Do not let my deceitful enemies rejoice over me. Do not let those who hate me without cause look at me maliciously. Psalm 35, verse 19. Now, where do we see part of this fulfillment? John 15, 22 through 25. Are you guys with me? I, okay, I, it's... I feel like I really am giving a fire hose. Um, if I had not come, John 15, 22, if I had not come and spoken to them. Now, do you even hear that language? What did we just say? He was coming to do God's will. So if I had not come, so do you see even he's already tying all this in and spoken to them, they would not have, they would not have sinned. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not have sinned. Now they have seen me and hated both me and my father. But this happened so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. Again, what is this? A fulfillment of the Psalm 35 verse 19. Over and over you see 
Jesus painting this picture of, I'm just walking into what the Word says. Ray? Repeatedly, they tried to separate him from the Father. And he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I see the Father saying. So he basically tied it together. You reject me. You're rejecting the Father. You cannot separate us. That's right. So what you have is now unjust hatred. Now, in the hatred, some of this language is going to be a little bit, um, it's going to feel very similar in some of this. But I do want you to see that in the process, you will see scorn take place, scorning take place. Okay. What do I mean by that? Psalm 22, okay, verse 7 and 8. I, we could say this, scorn and mock, if that helps understand language better. Psalm 22, verse 7 and 8 says, Everybody who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him rescue, Scripture says. Let the Lord deliver him, since he takes pleasure in him. Psalm 22, by the way, is one of the most key psalms in all of the 150 psalms that talks about christ okay so if you were to just to teach literally just on christ from a psalm this would be one of my go-to's in all of the psalms okay so you're gonna see lots of language so for me to pull one of the two verses out of psalm 22 it feels a little incomplete because there's so much this whole thing talks about christ okay so psalm 22 7 and 8 right talks about this but now what do you see matthew 27 okay matthew 27 Verses uh, 30, well, really, geez. Matthew 27, 39 through 44. Okay, Psalm 22 says, When they see me, they will mock me. Matthew 27, those who passed by were what? Yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, The one who would demolish the sanctuary and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the, the scribes and the elders, they mocked him and they said, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. Verse 43 of Matthew 27, he has put his trust in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am God's son. In the same way, watch this, even the criminals who were crucified with him kept taunting him. So this mock, this mockery, right? This scorning, it came from everybody, the religious and the criminals, and it's complete fulfillment of Psalm 22. This is just building the case. That's what's ridiculous about this whole text. Now in all of this, okay, Christ is going through the process of being, of being crucified. He's going through the process of being crucified. He's been given the cross, and then you have this word, forsaken. You have this word called forsaken. God will forsake Christ in the moment of agony. As he goes through all of this suffering, all of this mockery, all of this hatred, all of this persecution, Psalm 22, verse 11. Here it is again, back to this Psalm 22. Do not be far from me because distress is near and there is no one to help. Psalm 22 is what we call a messianic psalm. What that means is that he could be talking about the person here and now, but it's also a prophetic picture of a person to come. So Psalm 22 is this picture of, yes, uh, of what they're going through. In fact, I'm just going to go there really quick. Uh, you know, here you have this, this Davidic Psalm of, of David experiencing this probably. 
he's probably practically experiencing this right now. He feels totally isolated. Ah, there's nobody to help. But it's a picture of the coming Messiah. To do God's will, to go through hatred, to go through the scorning, go through the mockery, and oh, by the way, he's going to be forsaken. That's what David says. Hey, there's nobody to help. And what do you know? Jesus says the same thing in uh, Matthew 27, verse 46. Psalm 22, 11, and Matthew 27, 46. I'm only laughing because this is only the first part. Matthew 27, 46. About three in the afternoon, Christ being crucified, right? Going through this painful process. He cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the same language of Psalm 22, verse 11. Where are you? There's nobody to help. In fact, Mark 15, 34 says the same thing. And so here you have texts in the Gospels that are fulfillment of Psalm 22, verse 11. Just for fun, Ray, do you think you got the words down? You want to try? Nope. You're the only one I can call on. Oh, I know, Kevin, you have a microphone. Don't look at your notes. (laughs) What do you think, Kevin? Let's talk through this process. What are your words so far? Son's coming. Uh, he's coming in authority. He's in a battle. He's going to have z- crazy zealous. He's coming. Why is he coming? To do he's what? Do God's will. You got it. As he does God's will, what happens to him? He's going to be betrayed. Good. He's going to be betrayed. Then what else? Experience unjust hatred. Good. And be scorned and mocked. Good. And as he's on the cross, what, what does he say? I'm forsaken. Good. Awesome. You're telling the gospel, by the way, found in the Psalms with literally a handful of words. You're going to learn from the Psalms and the fulfillment of the New Testament. Okay. Whew. Okay, good. Amen. Way to go. Everybody, Kevin, way to go. That was good. You're all glad because you don't have microphones. And you just bail. Good. You're like, no, I'm not doing that. I could have done it, I just have a Right, you could. <laughs> All right, so now, let's keep going. Now, a lot of theologians, when you do this study of the Messianic Psalms, uh, you know, they don't get into detail where I want to go today. I actually think these details support it even more. Okay? It'd be easy to say, yeah, he suffered on the cross, Psalm 22, that's Christ. I want to show more than that. So, okay, in the process, as Christ is being crucified, you guys, as he's on the cross, he needs a drink. Psalm 69, 21. Instead, they gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Mm. It's amazing. So that's the, that's the psalm, Matthew 27, verse 34. Matthew 27, uh, I should have written that up. I always forget. Psalm 69, 21, is that what it was? I think Psalm 69, 21, and then Matthew 27, verse 34. Okay? Okay? Matthew 27, 34 says, They gave him wine mixed with gall to drink. But when he tasted it, which means he did imply partake of it for a second, he, he, it, uh, he would not drink it. Now, that's the front end of that. Now, at the end of Matthew 27, 48, You could even use that same language if you wanted, just to be more particular. 
Matthew 27, 48 says, Immediately one of them ran out, ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, uh, fixed it on a reed, and then offered him a drink. So twice, while he's going through the suffering, while he's feeling forsaken, they offer him a drink. I just think these things, you guys, to me, are real legit details that are absolutely incredible. You have Christ suffering on the cross, and he's fulfilling in pain what the word says. Okay? So that's the one aspect of the drink. Now, let's keep going. As, as this takes place, okay, as the, there's, there's a drink, do you guys remember the soldiers? What do the soldiers do? They gamble. I mean, I'm, not, I'm seriously not trying to make funny of this. Like, I want you just to think drinking and gambling. Okay, not Christ was drinking. I'm not saying that, but sometimes just imagery of, of things of how you can learn things. So in Psalm 22, verse 18, remember back to the Psalm 22, verse 18. Okay, it says this, they divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. In Matthew 27, verse 35, after the crucifixion, after it says Matthew 27, 35, after crucifying him, they divided his clothes by casting lots. says, then they sat down in verse uh, 36. says, then they sat down and were guarding him there. These things to me are a big deal. It's the little details. This isn't just the big crucifixion. It's, oh, by the way, he wants a drink. And, oh, by the way, the guards are going to gamble for his clothes. Why? Because of fulfillment of Scripture. Now, in the process, okay, let's keep going. Uh, you guys are doing great, by the way. In the process, okay, uh, <laughs> Christ's hands and feet. Now, I, I could have switched some of this. I probably should have. Christ's hands and feet will be pierced. Okay? I could have switched this, but in Psalms it went in order. That's why I did it this way. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers have closed in on me, and they pierced my hands and my feet. Right? There's drinking and gambling taking place, and now there's this, what we would talk about, this piercing. Now, it's not from the Psalms, but I do want to mention Isaiah 53, 5, just so you have it. But he was pierced for our transgressions. I know I broke out of the Old Testament for a second, but I, just, I think that language is really important. Because Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, they're incredibly key. Okay, so Isaiah 53, I'm just going to put that over here as a side note. Okay, so you have Isaiah 53, 5, just as a side. And then how do you see this fulfilled? John 20, verse 25. John 20, verse 25, and really 27. So the other disciples kept telling him, remember? There's this talk about Christ, and he says, we've seen the Lord, but he said to him, if I don't, who's talking? Thomas. If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I'll never believe. In verse 27, then he said to Thomas, Jesus, put your finger here and observe my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be an unbeliever, but a believer. Why? Because Psalm 22:16 prophesies what takes place with Jesus on the cross. And John, 25, uh, John 20, 25 and 27 literally show the after effects, literally, of what happened to Christ on the cross. Go ahead, feel my hands, feel my side. I have gone through the piercing. Now in Acts 2, 23, Acts 2, 23, it says this. 
Then I'll, uh, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you lawless people, it says, to nail, you use lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. Why do I use Acts 2.23? Because in order to be nailed, what do you have to be? Pierced. Okay? All right, let's hit a pause button before everybody zones out. That's a fire hydrant. There's a sun. He's been given authority. In this authority, there's a battle. This battle is because Christ is so zealous and passionate for who he is. He's coming to do God's will, and yet he's going to be betrayed. As he's betrayed, you're going to experience unjust hatred, scorning, and mockery. In that, then what? He's forsaken on the cross. He cries out to the Lord, where are you? And in this, he's thirsty. He needs a drink. The guys start gambling, and it revealed that he was pierced on the cross. As he's pierced on the cross, we jump to the next word. Good job, guys. You're getting it. That's one sentence. You're getting this. This is going to flow, okay? And in this process, this is probably one of my favorites and one of my biggest pet peeves. There was no broken bones. None. Well, how do we know? In the Psalms, Psalm 34, verse 20. Psalm 34, verse 20. Psalm 34, verse 20. He protects all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. Now, in John 19, okay? You guys are doing great. John 19, 33 and 36, okay? John 19, 33 and 36, the writer says this. When they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs. This is the soldiers, since they saw that he was already dead. Normally, the practice is, is once they're up there, they're struggling. You hit them in the legs so that it falls, and they break their legs. But they already saw Jesus was dead, so they didn't do that. In John 19, 36, it says this, For these things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken. They just recited Psalm 34, verse 20. So, from the piercing... I want everybody to understand, no broken bones. Okay, everybody with me? No broken bones in this process. You guys are doing great. Now we're going to start turning the corner. Now, in all of this, okay, Christ is dead. He dies. We just read that he died. So next thing you're going to see in the Psalms, by the way, is the resurrection. In the Psalms, you will see the resurrection. Psalm 16, verse 10. Psalm 16, verse 10. Please don't ever tell me that Christ is not in the Old Testament. Psalm 16, verse 10 says, For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see the pit. Ray, what does that mean? Man, uh, it's just the promise of the resurrection. That, uh, yeah. So the resurrected one's not going to stay dead. Yep. So how do we see the fulfillment? Mark 16, 6 through 7. Don't be alarmed. He told them you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He's been resurrected. He's not here. See the place where they put him. Verse 7, it says this. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Now, that's a good one. But the home run one for me is Acts 13. Acts 13, 34 uh, Kevin, is it just 34? Okay. Acts 13, 34, we'll read just a little bit of it, through 37, it says this. 
since he raised him from the dead, never to return to decay. He has spoken in this way. I will grant you to the faithful covenant blessings made to David. This is the Davidic covenant right here. Remember the lineage that's going to continue on? Therefore, he says in another passage, you will not allow your holy one to decay. Acts 13, 35 recites Psalm 16, 10. And it's talking about the resurrection. For David, after serving his own generation in God's plan, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers and decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. He was resurrected. Okay, everybody good so far? I'm almost done with the first coming. <laughs> I'm almost done with the first coming. So he's been resurrected, okay? Now, after he's been resurrected, he comes back to earth. And then what happens after the resurrection of coming back to earth? You will see what's called the ascension. The Psalms talks about the ascension. Psalm 68, verse 18. Tom, how are you doing on camera? Are you doing good? We're doing good. Okay. I have probably moved more of this lesson than in there. Sorry. Psalm 68, 18 says, You ascended to the heights, taking away captives. You received uh, gifts from people, even from the rebellious, so that the Lord God might live there. You ascended to the heights. You say, well, that's kind of an interesting phrase. <laughs> yeah, but it's a lot cleaner for us when you go to Ephesians 4, 8 through 10. Here you have Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. Ephesians 4, I think, is it 8 through 10? For it says, when he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity. He gave gifts to people. But what does, and I love this word, what does ascended mean? Except that he descended to the lower parts of the earth. And now watch, it says in verse 10, the one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. You go from the resurrection to the ascension. All right, before we do one more summary, I want to make sure that everybody understands something. That because of the ascension, okay, <laughs> he became the cornerstone, which established the church. Okay? You guys are doing good. Psalm 118, verse 22. Psalm 118, verse 22 says, the stone that the builders rejected has become what? The cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's the same language that we see now in Matthew 21, verse 42. Matthew 21, verse 42, it says this. Jesus said to them, have you, have you never read in the scriptures? <laughs> it was almost like, Hello! Have you not read this? And I can guarantee you most of this message, the church hasn't put it together. I think he'd say the same thing to some, many of us. Hello, guys. Have you not ever seen the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? And this came from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes. One more text to back this up. Acts 4, verse 11. Once the ascension happened, you now see the cornerstone of Christ. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. Now, Ray, I'm going to have you speak into this, uh, this last one here. Well, second to last one in regards to the first coming. Okay, here's what we have now is now it says, and there's an interesting language of priest. 
Now, what are we talking about? Go to Psalm 110, verse 4, okay? This is a cool one, and Ray, I think I probably should write, probably new priest on there, shouldn't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah. New priest. I want you to go to, Kevin, can you go there for me? Uh, you probably don't. Yeah, you do. Got it. Thanks, Kevin. Psalm 110, verse verse 4. <laughs> you guys are doing great. The Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back. Forever you are a priest like Melchizedek. Uh, Kevin, go to Hebrews 6.20, actually, for time. Hebrews 6.20. Hebrews 5.6 works, but I'm not going to read it for time. Hebrews 6.20 says this, Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Ray, you want to explain this? Yeah, so... Also in Hebrews, it says when there's a change in the law, there's a change in the priesthood. And so Jesus, uh, make, there, there's a, Melchizedek is a foreshadowing of Jesus. It says that he neither has beginning of days nor end of days because it's not recorded. And so here Jesus is as a high priest forever. And he's according to that order, meaning he's not of the order of the Levites. True. Because... There was always a change of the guard. Hmm. Once he stepped in as high priest, he's now the high priest forever. He brought an end to the law in terms of the priesthood. And so now he is forever making intercession as our high priest before the Father. Uh, After the new church has been established, a disciple was replaced. Okay? I know it sounds like a random one, but I think it's important in Psalm 109... Verse 8, let his days be few, let another take over his position. Judas, right? Remember the betrayal? But remember, after the church was established, what did the disciples say? Hey, we got to find a new guy. So, but this is part of the fulfillment. And part of that fulfillment comes from Acts 1, 16 through 20, which they ended up picking a new guy. So you have a new uh, a cornerstone. You got the church established. And now you got a new disciple. I just, I don't want to miss that prophetic. I think that's really important, Okay. That's the first coming. You guys did it. Good job. Okay, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to show it to you. <laughs> and I want you to take a break, uh, a break for a second. <laughs> All right. So, I know you guys can do this, but I think it's visual. There's my random one. So, Jesus comes as a son. Okay? As he's coming as a son, he's been given authority. That authority is going to be revealed in the battle. In that battle, you're going to see that he has zeal and passion. And the reality is, is now he's coming into Jerusalem to do what? To do God's will. And in the process, he's going to be betrayed. He's going to experience hatred. He's going to experience scorning and mockery. He's going to be forsaken. He's going to feel like he is legitimately forsaken. And in the process, he's going to have a drink. The soldiers are going to gamble for who he, uh, his clothes. He's going to experience the piercings that the disciples want to talk about. There's no broken bones, even though the soldiers want to do it, but they decided not to. And then you see the resurrection. What's after the resurrection? Good. You got it. The ascension comes. Once the ascension comes, then we see the cornerstone. The church is established. As the church is established, okay, you're going to see the new priesthood take place, right? You're going to see the institution of Christ overcoming, or I should say, fulfilling the law. And then in the process, just so you could see the, the scripture the disciple Judas was replaced. Okay, everybody good? That's the first coming in the Psalms. So here's what's crazy. 
is that you, okay, just, just right now alone, you can share the gospel about, I'm going to say this is going to sound really weird, forget that it's Christ, just about becoming Messiah. You can walk through all of these texts of the coming Messiah. And then if you get to the point, say, can I show you why I believe it is Jesus that fulfills these things? Okay, now what we'll do next week, <laughs> that just sounds weird, whatever. What we'll do next week is then we're going to talk about the, the return or the second coming.